Welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, an official Apple podcast uh, sponsored by the Westport Library and the Quick Center for the Arts. And my name is Migs Burroughs. And I'm Trace Burroughs. And today we have Robert Wall on, actor, comedian. Um, he's had a couple of series on HBO, Arliss and uh, Position, uh, Take, Assume the Position, 201 with Robert uh, Wall. Uh, he's been in many movies, many television shows. So thanks, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yep. Um, I read recently that you're doing a reboot of Arliss. Is that a is that happening? No. <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. It's I know we're 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 trying. We'll see. Okay. HBO okay. owns it. HBO owns it, so they've got to go ahead. And so far, they haven't been great about it. Yeah, that was on for what's like seven seasons. Six, seven seasons. Yeah, yeah, that was so great. Uh, and yeah, I, I loved the the assumed position show. I used to watch that all the time. I love. Oh, thank you. Thank talk you very about much. history. I thought that if all teachers would teach like you were teaching and pick out interesting facts and the way you did the whole thing, you know, le learning would be a lot more fun for. You know, I've heard that over and over, and I appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say. However, the truth is, uh, I'm doing a comedy monologue there in front of NYU students. Uh, if if I was to teach that in a public school, uh, I think the Board of Education would have me out in about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, no question. But it, but it, it for I hated history because it was so just, you know, dates and places and this and that and now you bring it to life um yeah. in, in such a fascinating way i mean i was just uh I looked, but well the whole you know origin of the middle finger and and the uh, uh celebrities wall was very prescient the celebrities as politicians you know um always always yeah, yeah always. Always it depends who the celebrities have been we only think of celebrities as far as like media but media meant the war heroes back then the media meant, you know, people who wrote, you know, who's ever in the news. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's, you know, whoever it is, you know, that's uh, the perfect example was the Paul Revere and is Israel, uh, Bissell. Bissell. Israel, Bissell. Jewish vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Um, so how do you, what are your source? Well, offer a couple well, lots of questions, but were you always interested in history as a kid or, and then, you know, how do you trust your sources? Uh, was I always interested in history? It's not just I'm interested in history. I'm interested in storytelling. I like good storytelling. Mm. Uh, and history is storytelling. I mean, that's what it is, the stories. And you have to remember the first rule is who's telling the story. You know, what's their agenda? Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, whose point of view am I hearing? Um, you know, that's number one. My sources, I was pretty good about it. I mean, we, there's this thing called the internet and um i used all that place no i'm sorry <laughs> yeah so i used a lot of that but i also would want more i again i was very tough on what source am i getting this from and i want more than one source i don't want a rumor unless i said it was a rumor i wanted to know i was pretty tough about that with my researchers and stuff because they'd say hey this is a great story I go, yeah but i don't know if it's true uh, unless i make it a legend you know, and then we that got into the whole theme of, you know, the whole uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend, the Liberty Valance thing. 
um, which is history, which is what history is. So I was reading that um, on your other show, Arlo, is that it wasn't, you said it was in, in the article says you're inspired by Trump inspired this. No, well, no, that's, that's been, that's been, here's, here's how it happened. Um, when we first started, this is like 1994, 95, when I wrote the first draft of the first pilot. Um, I was doing a satire on the world of sports through the eyes of a self-serving hmm. agent. And at the same time, I happened to be reading The Art of the Deal. And I read it and said, I think this is complete bullshit. <laughs> I don't believe a fucking word. In this thing. I said, but I said, he's telling you what he wants to hear, which is fine. I said, so that is going to be a good idea. I should use that as a narration where artists can narrate mm. what, what he, what he's doing like a document. He'll tell you about what he, you know, here's, let me tell you how, what happened and then show exactly what really happened in counterpoint. So that's all it was with the exception of the cover because our title, uh, our title card would spin out in the beginning of the show, the title card, and it was always Arliss, the art of the sports super agent, and he had a picture of me with a bat around on my shoulder, which was not unlike the cover of the yeah. art of the deal. Now, that said, I did not remember this at all for about 20 years. I don't know. When, they, when HBO put it on HBO Max, um, when did they start that about a year or so ago or two years ago when they did that um when i had to go back and clear some music so music clearances and stuff i realized that when i saw it, i go jesus Christ, i forgot all about this whole trump thing you know uh because uh you know it, it, i never thought about it after that you know so that when they say i was it was like trump no it was only the, uh, it was the idea that the book, and, and then we got rid of the narration anyway, about year three, season three, we didn't use much narration. So really the cover and the original structure was, 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 was influenced by that. That's all. Yeah. So you've, um, you've done a lot of various things. What, what do you enjoy doing most of all the, different parts of all this acting and the comedy writing and everything else. I love being in the editing room. I love, I love working with other actors. I like directing a lot. I, I kind of had great, I love working with great people. Um, I was very fortunate in my career. Uh, I, I had a blast. I, I, I just, I got to work with a lot of great people. Yeah. I look back at my career and I got to work with everybody. I mean, acting with, you know, being with people like Costner and, uh, and then Jack Nicholson and there's movies with Paul Newman and, and you know, Susan Sarandon and uh, doing, writing a comedy special with George Carlin and uh, working with Rodney, my first job. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah, my first job was writing jokes for Rodney. And uh, I, I just, I can't, and then of course doing, you know, my own films and Arliss and, uh, yeah. and I, I just like, the, the, I like a lot of the process and I like, I, I'm, excuse me, I like working with, uh, you know, working on, I like the process. 
I did love being in the editing room. I do love that. I think that's where I'm best. And um, that's all digital. Working on the Oscars with Billy Crystal was a terrific experience. Uh, so how does that work when you you like working with Billy Crystal and you're you're both writers, right? Writing the the jokes for the Oscars, right? Do you write them separately and then it comes together and the producer looks them over, or do you come into a room and say, okay, now we're going to start writing jokes? How does that? Both of you in the same place, it's collaborative. Yeah. Oh sure, when you're writing for when you're writing for a star, it's always collaborative. <laughs> in fact, the collab you're the collaborator. Right? Because it's like uh, the producer never the producer didn't see the jokes. I don't think until probably the day of the show. We would not tell anybody the jokes. Um, Did you know Billy Crystal before that? I had uh, a bit. Here's what happened: was uh, uh, one time I was it was a uh, right after I. I, I it was a lull in my career like for about five years in the early um in the 80s so at that time i was just still doing stand-up comedy and i had opened one night because we shared a manager carl reiner and i shared a manager and carl reiner's wife estelle had a cabaret act so she was opening at a local club and carl wanted a comic to be the opening act so my manager suggested me and Carl saw my tape and said yes. So I went in and I was, and this was not a gig that I'm really loving to have. I mean, you're the opening act in a small cabaret for, you know, uh, Estelle Reiner, who, you know, Estelle Reiner is the woman who says, I'll have what she's having it, you know. There so, I mean, so, you know, on the outside, <laughs> I'm like, eh, okay, I'll do this damn thing, you know. But when I get there opening night, it's a very small room, maybe a hundred people. But it was, I realized that a pack, I walk out there and the entire audience is made up of Carl's friends. So I've got Mel Brooks and Ann Bancroft. Oh. I got Chris Guest. I got Rob Reiner. I got Jamie Lee Curtis. I've got uh, uh, Larry Merchant. I've got everyone and Billy Crystal and his wife. And I, it went very well. And I did a good set. Uh, now I knew Billy's manager very well, David Steinberg. And I got a call a couple of months later asking me that Billy was going to host the Grammys for the first time and would i want to work with billy on you know doing the grammys just the two of us and i said sure sure so we started a relationship then it went very well in the grammys we did that two or three years we did it out here we did it at radio city music hall we uh and that went very well and then they asked billy to do the oscars so we did that and then what was great about the well it was first when billy and i did it we were the only two writers and then we added the second or third year we added bruce valanche and we added um, Mark Shaman, who did all the musical stuff. Uh, but that was it. That was just it was just us. Nowadays, if you look at these, they, each host has like fifteen writers. Fifteen. They got like, yeah. between twelve and fifteen writers. It's amazing to me to write all to write you know six minutes of material. Yeah. Um, so that that was a lot of fun. I mean, so that was a great that was a great experience. The great experience about the Oscars. To me, the best thing about it is that you do so much work over the course of a career that no one ever sees. You do movies, they bomb or they nobody sees them. You do a TV show or something like that and it's, it's done in three weeks. Uh, you can do, you do so much that no one ever sees it. With the Oscars, at least back then, uh, your work is going to be seen and talked about the next day. So that's exciting. That was exciting because your work is being seen, you know, and that, you know, so, um, you know, that was good. 
Yeah. But the actual, just back to the process sort of thing, like there's three of you in a room, two of you in a room, does somebody throw out a premise and then you build on it or you've got a fully formed joke and one of the other, the other person kind of tweaks it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Right. both of them. Yeah. Um, first of all, the, the premise, you're not doing, at least back, at least the way we attacked it is who are the nominees? First of all, you're talking about the movie business. I mean, you're not doing a premise about, you know, sports heroes or, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're the, first of all, the mistake I always think, and I'll swear to this day, the mistake that all the hosts make, all of them, all of them, <laughs> is it's not your show. It's the Academy Awards. <laughs> it's not the host show. You're going to make it your own? No, you're a host of an, if you were hosting a banquet, are you making the banquet your own? You know, if you're hosting, a, you know, you're hosting an event. So you're going to tell a couple of jokes about why we're all here together, make some fun, and then move on, then have this boring ceremony afterwards. And I will swear, don't do comedy bits. I think, I, I think every one of them, in my own opinion, stink. I think it stops the show cold. Mm. Um, the show is slow and long enough as it is. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit about uh, about you bringing in pizza to feed the audience. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, watching at home gives a shit uh, to my good, I shouldn't say it's because my good recent friend, but you know, <laughs> going next door to see what's playing at the movie theater. Uh, they, nobody gives a shit about it. They're there, to, they're there to watch the Academy Awards. And a lot of times you have to understand people think they're bringing what they do. And, and there's, I, I can't, this is not a hundred percent correct, but you'll say, okay, here are all my things that I do. I'll give you an example, top 10 list when David Letterman did it. Okay. That's okay. That's a short bit. That's okay. But when you start thinking, because a top 10 list, you didn't have to know anything. Even if you never saw a David Letterman show, a top 10 list is a top 10 list. You know, right? But if you've got certain bits and you think the audience at home who's watching the Oscars knows what you do at 1130 at night, you're wrong. You're 100% wrong because that audience makes up, well, it used to make up about, now it's who knows what the audience is, uh, but you, that audience will probably make up maybe 8% of who's watching the Oscars, maybe 5%. So the other 95% is going, what the fuck is this? You know, so don't do, I would, the key to me, I always thought was, it's, and, and Billy and I were in sync on this, at least in the first, you know, when I worked on the show. Um, it's not the Billy Crystal show. It's the Academy Awards and you're the host. So you get out there, you do your first eight minutes or so, and then move the show along. Now we did have quick one, spontaneous ad libs prepared um, one-liners here and there, but they were very short. There were one-liners. We didn't use most of them, but the great thing, of course, was that Billy and Bruce and Blanche and I were pretty good at ad-libbing. So when something happened during the Oscars, like Jack Palance, oh, the push-ups, yeah, or yeah. when Hal Roach's mic went out in the audience, <laughs> I mean, Billy could jump on that, and that made a difference. But it wasn't a whole bit made out of it that was like two, three minutes stopping the fucking show 
which is too long and too boring to begin with. And also, here's something else about the Oscars you have to remember as the host. They're not there to see you. You know, that's number one. Number two is with each category that goes by, 80% of the people in that category have lost. And they're not in a good mood. <laughs> they're not in a good, they want to get, they, they've been there. Remember, you're there. Let me break down the day for you so you get an idea. Mm. If the Academy Award starts out here on the West Coast at five o'clock, you've got to be, let's back time it. You've got to be there by four o'clock. You've got to be in your seat about four, four, 15. You've got to get through that red carpet and, and the mob that's up front. So that's another 15, 20 minutes. You got to get through what's well, Sunday night, so it's not that much traffic. So again, you got you probably got to leave by three at the latest wherever you are, which means if you're there with your wife and everything, and they're getting their hair done and everything, they've started about one thirty. Okay, so from one thirty, the show starts at five. There's no food, there's no bathroom breaks, there's nothing like that. So that starts at five. So if you're doing jokes. About six thirty, seven o'clock, and 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 at that point, you know, you've done most of the categories. Most of them have all lost. They they've spent a fortune on going to the Oscars because unless you're a movie star, the studio is not paying for it. You know, people have to realize you got to buy your tickets at five hundred dollars a pop. So it's a thousand dollars. Your wife's going to spend at least a thousand dollars on a gown and makeup and everything else. So now you and the limos. So it's it's going to cost you between five and ten to go to the Academy Awards. I never knew. So, that. so if you're doing jokes about about seven o'clock at night, nobody wants to hear them. Yeah. So yeah, it's the practical part of the Oscars. So ninety percent of the time, when Billy would look over to me, you know, between breaks in the corner when he's introducing somebody. Uh, I would say 95% of the time, if you look at me, I would do like, because we're both baseball fans, I would put down one finger and go, which meant fastball, means get to it, just get to it. Uh, <clears throat> that's great. That's a great insight into, yeah, I, I assumed everything was comp. I mean, they always talk about the the, the uh, swag bags, you know, worth $80,000. What? Not, unless you're a movie star. Yeah. If you're a movie star, director, or something like that, I don't even know if the writer gets the... Uh, you got to pay for everything. You pay for now. The swag bags only go to the presenters. Oh, they go to the presenters. They don't go to everybody. They're not in every seat. I want to have some No, no, no. Do you know when two actors come up to the podium? That thing after the host says now oh. brings on two people, and they always have a, a bit they're doing, yeah, like do. thing like like did you get the card or are you wearing the your shoes? Some odd. Right. Is that that's all written, right? That part is written. I didn't I we never worked on that. That yeah. was done by the writers. It was two parts of the show writers. One was the writers who did that. Yeah. And then there was the writers for the host. Uh now I will tell you a great story. The first year I see it was different back then too. I hate saying that, but back then the people who worked on the show, they were very excited to work on the show. Um and they had, they were all great movie people. The first year I worked on the show, Gil Cates, may he rest in peace, was the producer. And um, the writers on the show who wrote all the stuff like that, and who wrote the, you know, all the other stuff were a person, it was the year of the woman, so they had Sheila Benson, who was the film critic for the New York Times. But the other three writers were Mel Shavelson, Hal Kantner, and Ernst Lehman. Now, I don't know how much of a movie fan you are. 
if you are, you, these names are legendary. Hal Canner uh, wrote, and Mel Shelley did a lot of movies. He wrote, Hal and Bell, they wrote a lot of Bob Hope movies and they wrote a lot of other movies too. Now, Ernst Lehman, now I am a movie buff and this is the business. Ernst Lehman is like having, I can't, uh, Ernst Lehman is a god as far as screenwriters go and producers go. Ernst Lehman wrote the screenplays for such movies as Sweet Smell of Success, Sound of Music, West Side Story, hmm. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The King and I, uh, Family Plot, North by Northwest. Jeez, nice so, resume. So Ernst Lehman, I, when I had an opportunity to talk mm -hmm. to him, uh, that was one of the great moments of, of, of my, of, you know, my life to get to talk with Ernst Lehman. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I don't, but Trace and I are both artists, so I, forgive me for being nosy, but do you have, it looks like artwork stacked up in, in the back there, framed um, artwork? I, I, well, I, I might have, they're posters, I might, wait, I'll show you one thing though, if I have it here. Where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? I am not told you're the first people ever to see this thing. Cool. Okay. I don't know, I'll have to do it up here. Okay, can you see it? The plastic reflection of it, see a little yeah. So is it a drawing or a print? Yeah, it's a drawing. Now it, I, I don't want to unwrap this. Did thing. you are you an art? Did you do it? Do you draw? No, no. no. I can't tell if it's a it could be a it's like scribbles, it scribbles, literally scribbles. Yeah. It is a blotter. You know, the desks have blotters in hotels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My college roommate uh, was on a phone and he was doing tic-tac, there's literally tic-tac-toe, women's kits and shit like, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is my college roommate. Did. This is when I was doing Batman and uh, we ran into each other in London and he was having a showing. He's my college roommate, my freshman college roommate. And he was having a showing. Uh, and uh, so he was on the phone with uh, Charles Saatchi at the time of Saatchi and Saatchi. Saatchi, yeah, the galleries, yeah. He was on, and he, he's talking on the phone, and you have to, and he's scribbling this shit away, and he says, "Robert, would you like this?" Now you got to understand the ego of this guy. Okay, <laughs> he says, "Robert, would you like this?" I said, "Sign it, date it." Okay, I'll take it. That's it. That's it. Uh so I've kept it in the thing. My college roommate's name was Julian Schnabel. Oh my God, Julian! So that's a, that is a Schnabel. <laughs> I that name we know. That that's amazing. That you got to oh, that's. Terrific. And if you know Julian, it all makes sense. But didn't he go into the broken pottery and? Sure, that's where yeah, he made his name. That, that was his name, that's right? His name, yeah. But he, but he was an art. But that well, that was her doodles. You said was he ever a fine artist that actually drew and rendered things that you know of, or it was always the pottery thing? Oh no no Drew Drew no 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 uh, uh, Julian's an artist. Julian's yeah, a great, Julian's a great artist. I mean, he can uh, do it. I mean, if you saw any of his movies, I mean, Basquiat. Or, oh yeah. Oh, he's a great director. Or, yeah. Or, or, or the one about uh, Van Gogh. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he taught uh, Willem Dafoe how to paint. I mean, uh, you know, Julian's a great artist. Julian's legit. I know he's a great. He's the director. I mean, I've seen I the see, movies. Yeah. The best movie. His best movie, in my opinion, is. Um, well, he's got a couple of them. Basquiat's a good movie. Hmm. Uh, the one about Before Night Falls with Javier Bardem about the 
gay, excuse me, gay poet in Cuba. But my favorite is The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh my God. Which, which is a great, a great, great film that, about the French guy who's locked, it's all through, it's locked, all, it's all, in, locked in syndrome. Right. Yeah. And you see it through the point of view of his eye. That's, that's that, just an amazing film. That I read that book first before I saw the film, and I haven't read another book since because it. I, I couldn't. I still to this day cannot get that out of my head. Of I, I have such a fear of locked-in syndrome. It's like Johnny Got Your Gun, the Dalton Trumbo book. Yes, you know, with this poor guy, he's a quadruple amputee, and he luckily a, a nurse finds out that he's there's a human being behind, you know, and he blinks his way. But yeah, that what a story. And by the way, that's been in there. I was in a drawer for like, let's see, this is 30 something years, 32 years ago. It was in a drawer. I had it framed and stuff like that. Uh, it's starting to fade. Though. I, should, I actually should, you know, I would sell it, but I, I think it's better as a conversation. I don't know what I'm going to get for that. I'm not going to get any money for that. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, so I would probably, it's better as a, as a conversation piece, probably. But are you moving in or moving out? Why is it all stacked up on the wall so I can be so uh, cure, uh you know uh, because i'm a lazy prick and i haven't <laughs> usually i turn this stuff around because I'm, I'm sitting at my desk and i'm facing this beautiful bookcase with all these awards there and stuff like oh, that yeah. <laughs> um, but uh I, I, like you said I, I you said audio so i didn't do any of this. yeah that's okay no I, I like that was that was a nice little reveal the julian snobble thing because we're both artists so that, that was a really great thing um yeah, so anything anything that you'd like to upcoming that you'd like to talk no, about? What a thing. I'm getting two new dogs today. That's what I'm looking oh. for. Today is pet adoption day. I found that out to, after I adopted dogs, but today is National Pet Adoption Day, Adopt a Dog Day. And we are getting two new little uh, uh puppies today. So you know what so breed? Yeah. Oh, they come from a line of many champions, I think. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I always get uh, mixed breed uh, little dogs, always. My dogs live well, by the way. You should know this because um, it's like, here's a picture of me and my dogs, the last dogs I had. I don't know if you can see this, where it's taking place. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Are they border collies? They look kind of, it's hard to oh, tell. No, they're chihuahua that. mixes, actually. Oh, okay. uh, they, they probably got, who knows what they got in it. But I, we travel with the dogs. These two went to Paris eight times. So um, my dogs live well. The, the, the people at the foundation said, these two dogs have no idea, you know, they have, so we live in New York and LA and they have no idea about what they're about to experience with you, you know, so, cause we go to Italy, we go to Paris every year we go. Oh, wow. And you, do they, they ride with you, right? Can you put them under the seat or with you on this? Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. You know, now I, they may be cracking down a bit on that, uh, but, uh, We'll see. I'm sure we'll work it out. Yeah, well, they're small enough. Now, what about you guys? You're both artists, but what's your what what uh, what's your background on that? Oh, that's a that's a whole like long show. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've done a lot of I've had a lot of mini careers that lasted six years, and in entertainment, like uh, you know, write comedy, Nickelodeon, and a voiceover, and goes on and on. Just make your eyes roll with the tedium of what I've tried, things I've been involved in. Um, but uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a, 
I went to Carnegie, I was in the drama department at Carnegie Mellon. It was Carnegie Tech back then. So a lot like Albert Brooks was a classmate, Stephen Schwartz. So I have a lot of, you know, people that I wouldn't saw, call them, presume to call them friends, but Paula, I dated Paula Wagner, who uh, was Paula Kaufman then, who was the big agent and Tom Cruise's partner. Um, Did uh, you know what, were you at Carnegie Mellon with Schwartz when he was doing Godspell there? Yeah, he, he that was a senior project. I don't know, Pippin, I think, was a senior Pippen. project. But he and John Michael Tebelak, who since died, you know, died, was his uh, lyricist, I think. So they they did Godspell together. But uh, John Michael died before God, I think Godspell got to Broadway. But yeah, no, I was with we were classmates. I, he, I saw him last year or two years ago at a local. He lives up near here, in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Um, yeah, he's yeah. We weren't best buddies, but we were acquainted. No, no, Carnegie Mellon's great school. In fact, I was supposed to do. Uh, another assume the position, and we were going to do it yeah. in Pittsburgh. Oh, we were doing it because my manager's from Pittsburgh, and we had checked out Carnegie Mellon to, as one of the sp spots we were supposed to do it in, um, along with uh, oh, what's it called? What's it called? The big dance school there, Pittsburgh's. Uh, what's a pit? Oh, PP or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is, it, uh, is it belly? Is it a ballet thing? I don't know. This picture is good. Yeah, but we did that, and uh, we were going to do it. In fact, my uh, I was good friends with Glenn Fry, and Glenn was going to be part. We were partnering yeah. up, and uh, he was going to do as I was doing history. He was going to do music appreciation. <laughs> so we were doing. We had this thing all land out, and then, and then the uh, as the funding always you know, you know came apart, and mm. then we went, and then instead we went on to do. Um, we were writing a musical version of Hotel California, which we actually, which workshop, which I workshopped at the, we were going to workshop, we did workshop it at University of Michigan's uh, theater school, which is, there's a theater school, that's phenomenal. Um, and, uh, but Glenn got sick just before we started doing it. Oh, gee. And uh, it didn't work out. We had, that, that, that was a great experience. I workshopped it with, without, without Glenn, unfortunately, uh, um, but uh, it was, uh, I mean, Madonna's daughter played the witchy woman. They, their talent is off the charts. Um, that was a great experience, but it, you know, they, they went apart because Glenn passed. Oh and, man, the other Eagles weren't interested in the musical. The uh, you know, Glenn was the you know the guy behind that. Anyway, oh, let's go. Well, one little side note, because you in, in uh, assume the position you you mentioned about the, uh, that the best selling oh the most stolen book in in libraries is according to the, is the Guinness Book of Records according to the Guinness Book of Records Trace has been in the Guinness Book of Records a few times oh yes yeah. yeah marathon drum soloing back in the 70s 73 I mean a 75 and 78 book uh, for drumming last time was 21 days uh, other yeah. guys my records even longer and now they erased all those records and now because they said we have different standards now. So if you go now looking for that, I think the longest time is like, you know, five days or something. So. Uh, and, and just, I said, well, I, I, yeah. I guess you just don't, well, I'm just curiously, what record did you have to beat? <laughs> yeah. I beat my own record. So my first yep. record, the, the current record was nine days by some guy. When I thought of this, I said, well, I'll drum 10 days. So I drummed 10 days. In 73, and then someone broke my record, and I said, I have to do this so long that I'll have a record forever. And I'll, you know, so I said, I'm going to do it for three weeks. So I did it for three weeks, 
And then some guy the next year, I remember a guy called me actually from Ridgefield. I was living in my parents' house in Westport, Connecticut at the time. And he called them and said, how did you do that? And then the guy broke my record. And there was about four, three or four other guys that broke the records after that. And I lost track of where all that is. I'm not surprised that you were living in your parents' house because <laughs> who would want to rent to somebody who's going to play a drum solo for three straight weeks? I mean, I cannot. Well, we did it in a nightclub. In a your, parents, yeah. your parents are good people. Yeah. So. Well, I grew up, he's the younger brother, but I, and I grew up with him in his practice pad and the drum set in the basement, day in and day out. But um, drums solo. I mean, I did this in clubs. Yeah, one was interesting places. Copperfield Rock Palace on Eighth Street in Manhattan. It's not, it's must be gone. Kenny's Castaway. Didn't you play in Kenny's Castaway? No, oh, I did a solo there. Yeah, right. But I want to, Robert, if I could, one as sort of a parting uh, comment was because um, I play. Um, uh, we have a Memorial Day parade here, and the local organization bought an, a pretty authentic. A George Washington costume outfit. I mean, one of the you know, and uh, it's not it's not hit old, but it's uh, it was an authentic reproduction and um, authentically reproduced. Uh, more, it's a more perfect reproduction than. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I play Yankee Doodle. I play Yankee Doodle in this parade wearing this costume, and then I heard your you know I went back and and listened to the whole thing on what Yankee Doodle is not. It was not a complimentary song. I mean, we all take it to heart, right? Like we're the Yankee Doodle, yay! But Yankee Doodle was a right. It was a ridicule. We were being ridiculed. Well, yeah, they were making a gay joke. Yeah, they were, making, they were, they were making a gay joke out of it back then, um, which um, one could argue today somebody somewhere I could see somebody somewhere saying we shouldn't do. Although, even though. Yeah, they they would probably be offended by Yankee Doodle. I mean, they're offended by everything. So they, yeah, why should Yankee Doodle be? Yeah, let's cancel Yankee Doodle. Sure, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hell, they've canceled Washington and Jefferson and everybody else. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Yankee Doodle story was fun uh, because I had no idea until I looked it up. You know, about the and macaroni the club. macaroni club. Yeah, I had no idea about that. That's kind of fun. Yeah. You know? But I think that storytelling again, again hmm. it goes back to storytelling. Um, I, you know, that, which I like. I like storytelling a lot. Uh, you know, because people have just you know, it, it's just great. But and we think I, I like it because since the time I, I can remember, whenever I, every election or everything, I mean, since the time I can, I've always heard somebody say, you know, in times like these. It's, like, it's always times like <laughs> I have never not heard in times of these. This is the most important election of your life. Well, the next election will be the most important election. Yeah. And the one after that will be the most. I believe that 90%, and I truly believe this, of everything is generation. Everything hmm. is all generation. Um, you know, whether it's baseball, you ask kids, oh, Mike Trout's best baseball player, you know, you know, look at his war, best of all time. I would say, you didn't see Willie Mays play. And my dad would say, you didn't see DiMaggio play. And his father would say, you didn't see Babe Ruth play. Everybody's got to be judged in their own era. There's no way, no way. I don't give a shit what they come up with in sports to say, well, we judge this and we have these factors. Oh, yeah. 
There, yeah. You have to judge people against their, in their own era. You have, you cannot do that. You cannot do revisionist history on that stuff and say, well, back then, it's like that's, you can't do that. I mean, and if you do it, you're kidding yourself. Uh, it's just, oh, oh, we can measure the park speeds. It's like, oh, yeah. And where's the modern, and where's the stat for modern medicine? Where's yeah. that stat? Yeah, yeah right. Stat that a guy hurts his arm, he can't pitch again. Where today, the, the guy hurts his arm, in two weeks, they can operate and he's back in the month. You know, Kofax, I once met, met Kofax, and I asked him, I go, how, with today's modern medicine, how long would you have been out? He said about six months. You know, mm -hmm. so you can't do that. So I believe most things are generational, uh, except for millennials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> All right, well, that's a good note to end on. Uh, thanks anyway, so much, thank Robert, you. for sharing your time. I know. That was very entertaining. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.